positive feedback loop. the social norms that we've established that are really ingrained in our society need will change. One thing that's changed in almost in our lifetime is the way we communicate. And that's literally changed completely within our lifetime. We had corded phones. Our grand great grandparents, they might not have had any kind of communication devices. And with that, that Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop, the podcast where we talk about things we find interesting and often disagree on. Today's topic is Utopia 2, possibly Electric Boogaloo. Who knows? How do we get there? That's what we're talking about today on this episode of Positive Feedback Loop. And I'm here with my pot, my co-host, Ray. Hello, everyone. And Stephanie. Hello. It's so exciting to be here. So, in, so last week, we talked a little bit about Utopia and some of the ways that we fathom Utopia, how we think about them. So what we're talking about this week is how do we actually get there? And that's that's a lot of big questions. And we, obviously, as you can tell from our conversation earlier, are struggling with it because that's, you know, a huge question to ask. So, Ray, we were earlier talking about what are your thoughts on getting to Utopia? And you're mentioning how science has to advance. But what I'm more interested in finding out is how does society have to change? Because it's one thing for scientists to just make new things. Science will keep doing its thing. It's what happens when we humans step in and what we do with that knowledge that defines society. That's where culture comes in, and that's where politics come in, and that's where possibly the end of the world comes in, and dystopias and all the other stuff. So how do we make sure we end up at your utopia? Well, one thing you have to think about is the incentives of human beings in general. Why are we even here? One is to like, survive. So we have food, we gather food, we have to work, whatever. Uh, I think a lot of those daily activities might not be the same in the utopia. So for me, I think, obviously, you mentioned AI being a major factor for this. But if you're talking about steps that we can take now to get there, it's one, really planning out what to do with these people that are going to not have the skills to make enough to feed themselves. That's number one. I think it's not that hard, actually. We have lots of imbalances in our e economy, lots of imbalances that we can rebalance by taking the qualities of the unemployed human and making that, putting that to work. There are lots of unemployed people or unemployable people or maybe unskilled people in the world for whatever reason, they have other skills that are actually important. And then you argue, well, they can't, well, AI is going to come and farm or all, all the machines are going to take over. I get that, but they still have a human trait. There's something about humanity that provides infinite creativism. It just happens. And one thing that I believe that the future of machines and AI is going to want and desire, like the real food, the real engine, no, rather the real energy supply that comes to AI is going to be human input, human data, because they're going to collect that and make themselves better, right? So they're the, you know, getting to 100% is going to require a lot of human-generated data. What I mean is literally everything we do will kind of be, send back into like a, a 
a virtual repository and that's going to be valuable is my point our data is already super valuable if you think about the sale just as an example of linkedin to microsoft i think that was a couple years ago per user i think it was calculated that each user was 80 bucks if you look at the valuation of the company at the time and the number of users at the time 80 bucks a user I didn't get that 80 bucks. I don't think we did either, you, you know, any of us. So that is only going to increase. Every day to the network, to the cloud, might be worth hundreds of dollars. Uh, all our activities of daily life might be worth over hundreds of dollars just to be living, just to be communicating, just to be like laughing at something because for an AI to know what we laughed at it can be very valuable, especially as we as they try to get reach that asymptotal level where it can mimic or it can be truly intelligent. So Ray, I, I have a question for you. So let's imagine a world where a company can hire a, an AI system. The AI software will hire temp workers to fill in certain roles, right? The things that it can't automate, it will hire people to do. Once it's hired those people, it will analyze how it is that they do the job. And then once they've done the job, it will hire fewer people in the future because it will know how to do the job. And this will continue until eventually no human input will be required. Let's imagine that this is the case for all of society, right? We're living in a world where this already happens. There's already companies that do this. But you're also assuming that there's some sort of like glass ceiling that just caps all jobs to be done. I mean, there are things were automated that now humans have created new jobs to manage those automated tasks. I mean, the computer Here's... automates a lot of things that has, and maybe it took jobs from people who had to manually calculate, you know, all the accounting. And now we have just software that just does that for us. Well, now we have people who teach you how to use that software or they manage the development of uh, better software versions and and then using that software as a modular piece to fit into larger you know systems of uh, of software or of technology that can do even greater Here's things issue, I feel Steph. like jobs expand Here's the issue Steph you're you're thinking about it from the perspective of the old method of innovation in the past, what you said probably held true, right? New jobs came or came across, came around, and they would replace the old jobs. This no longer holds true. Yes, new jobs do come around, but they do not replace the new jobs. It is a fraction of the number that actually come around. If you think about the number of people that tech companies hire, look at the the gross product, the amount of uh, revenue and, and profit of. Google or Amazon, and look at how many people they hire compared to the old world companies. Like if you look at any of the old airliners or Ford, and you look at how many people they used to hire, and you look how many people tech companies hire today, those are not jobs that are coming back. Every time we innovate and AI takes a chunk of the workforce, those are not jobs that are coming back. Yes, we get, you know, you get a new type of programmer and you get a new type of thing, but the traditional smart segments disappear. Oftentimes, it's starting to disappear faster and faster. But new and one. My concern is we as a society are not prepared for this. 
but new ones i disagree i think i think that you're right we are trying to prepare and i wouldn't say we are prepared for it but i think that we are trying to prepare and i do believe that we will be prepared uh how how well as i mentioned i think the I mean, it's amazing you, what pops up that's not even needing preparation. I mean, video games, for you, example, there are people who build their entire economic stability of their family on sitting on a couch, playing video games, recording themselves live, playing those video games, and people want to watch them. And they turn into digital influencers, so, and then they make millions of dollars just playing video games. I mean, there here's, are, here's there's the an issue expanding universe that. of roles of people. Here's the issue I have with that. You're bringing of creative work. Right, because that's essentially what that falls into. It's creative work. Any work where you're performing in some sense or creating something, that's creative work. Right, uh, art artists, movie makers, video game designers, all of that, all of that's creative work. But the problem is, creative work at the end of it is has a very small margin for success. You can only have so many creators that are successful at a time. You cannot totally have an wrong. entire economy. I no. disagree. How do you define this? Wait. How do you define success too? Cannot have an entire economy built off creative labor. What I mean is you can't have an entire economy that is all painters because who's going to consume the paintings? If you have, if everyone's a painter and only one person buys a painting from you, that's not enough to live off of. We're in a multi-sided markets just surround us. And there are a lot of people who both buy and sell in the same market. So you have artists who produce art and buy art. The other thing is if we do automate a lot of the tasks that are not creative, you do have an emerging market of people who want to own. I mean, creativity isn't just artwork where we see a, a, like fine arts where you buy something and hang it on a wall. For a lot of people, that might be useless. For others, it might be absolutely necessary and essential for a, a fulfilled life. So, I mean, everybody views these creative works differently. But there are other creative industries that are actually essential. They're seen as creative somehow, but they're absolutely essential for business. Web designers. Web designers are essential. If you do not have a website that has a user interface that helps your business sell products, yeah, if that person doesn't sell products, they're basically, they could be a graphic designer, but they're critical to business. And so we see creative, it's like we've pulled creativity from the, you know, other products. And we've said like, here's the, here are all the useless jobs. And you can't see creativity as useless or you're not seeing it in, in its I, rightful I, I think we place have, in the economy. We, we have a different scope in mind. And there's two issues here. There's two issues here, honestly, at the, at the end of this, right? Issue number one is the idea of humanity as having some ineffable quality that no AI will ever be able to reproduce. There are already robot artists. This is already a thing. And we and are still extremely early in the development of AI. Who knows whether humans will even have a place in the creative marketplace a thousand years from now. Again, I'm projecting super forwards and this is crazy sounding. But that's still that's from where the perspective I come at it from. I don't believe humans have some magical quality that makes us uniquely creative that could never be reproduced by an advanced enough intelligence because we have no way of knowing how an advanced enough intelligence will think. Related to that is imagination. What you're 
saying is it's it's hard for us to imagine some futures. And I think at the very beginning, we, we had kind of a inkling of this where you mentioned, you know, are the physics, the laws of physics the same? Or is the societal structure the same? Or even the cultural context? And, you know, a utopia, by definition, is either a not, not a place, not existing, meaning we're imagining it, a utopia, or it could be a EU-topia, which uh, more, when he talked about utopias, alludes to, which is this good place, this perfect And you're referring to the, to the work, Utopia, yes. specifically, if you wanted to. Uh, <laughs> yes, the, Thomas. They're the, the original creation by, by Moore, who uh, wrote the book Utopia. Exactly. And, you know, there's, there's these two senses of Utopia, and uh, some people look to, oh, it's from the Greek, and other people say, no, it's the you or non-topia, no, non-place. But either way you make it out, it's imaginary. <laughs> it's, it's some yes. place that's, that's just wonderful and in the future somewhere, right? So the question is, is our human imagination too limited to even be able to imagine is there a utopia out there we can't imagine would i rather achieve the utopia i don't really have the ability to understand yet and that the universe or god can make happen for me if i follow a certain path or is it something that i have to imagine so that i can achieve it myself in a very pragmatic fashion this is i think the question that kind of terrifies me about ai And terrifies is the wrong word because it's also kind of exciting. And I don't know how I feel about it. But when we talk about AI, we talk about computers being just faster and better than they are today, kind of. That's kind of how we fathom it in our heads. But we're not really understanding the fact that you could have one day a system. Within the laws of physics, this is all possible. It's just whether science can get there. And maybe it'll never happen. But most scientists and industry people will say it could happen at least within the next hundred years. Super intelligent AI with an intelligence that far exceeds that of humans. And a human being, and I I was reading a book called Life 2.0. I will put it in the notes so people can look it up. Uh, Life 2.0 is is a book that talks about AI in the future and all the possibilities. And he gives a really good example of what could happen if we tried to, for example, shackle AI. Let's say you wanted AI to do a task, right? The task is making paper clips. You wanna make an AI that makes the most efficient way of making paper clips in the world, but you want it to only do that and only work for the good of humanity and never go out of bounds. So you try to shackle it in some way. You create limits on the system. Maybe it can't go, go into the internet. Maybe it can't do this, that, or the other thing. It would be essentially as if the entire world all of a sudden, all the adults died, and all that was left was five-year-olds and one and you. You as an adult. Five-year-olds have a very limited scope of how they imagine the world and what you can do within the world. Let's imagine these five-year-olds, threatened by your intelligence, threw you in a jail, right? Do you think you could get out of that jail? Chances are you probably could. You could trick them in any of a number of ways. For example, the the example they give in the book is, or one of several examples is, let's say you decide you wanna teach them how to fish. You tell them, hey, you don't know how to fish. I can teach you how to do it much more efficiently. 
bring me a, a, a hook and tether and a pole, and I can teach you how to fish. To fish. Now, a five-year-old may not be able to understand that using a hook, you could create a lockpick. But you know you can do that, and then you get out. And then your capabilities are now outside of their ability to control. So then the question is, do you tether the AI further to the point where it is unable to pro progress on its own? Do you What do you do as a society to ensure that the cap capabilities of this super intelligence that exceeds any known human ability is with is always on our side is always benevolent and always works for us and there are so many questions here we could go all night debating and this also brings us back to the second question we were having and it is the case of scope because what we were talking about i was saying what you were arguing is there will still be work in the creative field but not everyone can do it, is my answer. Not everyone. If you took every truck driver, every waiter, every manager, and you told them, now you have to compete in a creative marketplace to be able to make a living, unless society has made some way for those people, if they decide not to enter that marketplace, if this, unless society has made some way for those people to survive, they will not be able to. Because you can only have so many movie stars. And you can see that in Hollywood. You can only have so many designers. And heck, AI is already doing that. There's already AI writers. There's already AI musicians. And one day, they will be competing not just with every other human on the planet, but also with computers. So then, at what point is an unemployment level, level at what point is too much unemployment okay? So you were saying that the creative field won't be able to, you know, that won't be the majority industry. You just can't do that because uh, look at Hollywood, you said. But look at YouTube. People are making an income based on videos that they post. It's not a whole impossibility. You can get the long tail of the creative industry. However, I do not think that it will be a necessarily creative industry. That won't be like the only existing thing for humans to do. I think we do have something else that's very special that is really difficult for AI to be mimicking, and that's empathy. Because there is something that potentially that we're not able to actually connect to, or we can't upload yet, and it's empathy. You really can't have the same connection um, to you know, a person on the street randomly, or somebody who's in the hospital, or your best friend, or you know, your mother or father. You can't have those same kind of like connections that is almost mysterious by itself. You can't have them the same way with an AI bot. I don't think it's possible. I think you can mimic it really well, but there are points in times in your life that you just, you can't feel the essence of their existence. You could feel it in a human being. And I think that's not something all human beings are in touch with either. We do have this, a lot of societies and social norms where this is not, the primary mode of thinking but at the end of the day you know we are still human and we are driven by biological forces that we are still trying to understand so that whole process of aging being eradicated is, is a not is not really going to happen anytime soon i think so right i i think the question i i have for you here um is 
let's say that you're right. Let's say that creative work and empathy. Let's. I don't know how you do. I mean, there are empathy-based industries, I guess. You know, caring for older adults or medicine to a large degree has a large degree of that. Where you know, just having a cold machine may not be enough. Well, I think that's limited, though. You're saying that it, but, empathy is like some sort of a, it's it's appears in some places that are by definition empathetic, like the hospitals. But empathy is absolutely necessary in every single way. If there is a human that's working alongside just robots and they have no empathy, that human is going to degrade in their emotional stability and well-being because they're not do you need do you need empathy industry. to ch- check out. Do you need empathy to check out at a self-checkout uh, you cashier do, remarkably. in a supermarket? You do. And that's what people don't realize. And that's why a lot of AI is so underdeveloped. Because they don't realize that in something as simple as a checkout, you need empathy. For example, people are not thinking of how a deaf person feels, how a blind person feels, how a woman or a man feels, how a young child feels, how someone feels who is shorter or taller. And yes, you can say, well, I'll just design for all of those different biological constraints, but there's also the people who who are shy and who are not, the people who want people to know what they're buying and who don't. And you have to have empathy for the people with real needs, especially those people who are in the minority who have a need, usually with technology, it's almost like a democracy. Well, the majority needs this, we'll design for the majority, and there's nobody designing. And that's why OXO, that they just designed kitchen goods. And you could say, well, kitchen goods have been automated. They've automated the production of carrot shavers and apple cores and whatever and they just robots make them robots can design them even better and whatever but then you think of oxo coming like what hundreds of years later and finally redesigning the the carrot peeler for people who have arthritis and for people who don't have the dexterity of the majority that's empathy i see what you're saying i want to uh comment what you said i think the whole issue with the checkout counter being public or whatever, I think that could be solved with like getting mail delivered or Amazon, things like that. And even like um, shopping. That, so that could be solved. However, I still do think people want to connect with other human beings in many times. And you're right in that you have to also focus on the minority of uh, people too, because they also have different wants and needs. And if I don't think I want to live in a utopia where everyone becomes the same. I don't want to uh, I want there to be diversity in this. I, I, I don't think we're understanding this the same way, though, because if anything, the way that technological advancement has moved is for things to be more personalized, oftentimes through automatic processes. Look at Amazon. Amazon advertises to you exactly what you want in the way that you want it. That's the whole point of the business model. And none of that is done with like humans looking at what you're doing. and like, It's all automatic from behind. I think these are niche cases, but on the whole, the trend has been for automation to make it easier for you to get exactly what you want the way you want it. And that's only going to continue being the case. Meanwhile, compared to in the past, where in the past it was all done standardized because that was cheaper and no human could possibly calculate all the specific things that every single person wanted. Now, what we're looking at now is a place where let's say that all those niche design decisions you needed one person for, right? Like companies don't need every single checkout counter to have a cashier. They need 
one person there if for those cases where maybe you have a problem that can't be solved with the system currently in place and the rest could be automated and made self-checkout and people are generally fine with that. And you can see that in a lot of places because that's more efficient. And you're only going to see more and more advanced versions of this. So let's say that what you're saying is true and we do need that niche case scenario where you have that empathetic part of the industry and you do have the creatives out of the industry and yet that's still gonna be it's not uh, it's completely unlikely it's gonna be more than 50 percent of the population that's actually working age you're gonna have 50 percent unemployment at best no i think it'll be more like that would be a creative industry about 20 percent empathy industry about another 20 percent you'd have like 40 percent of developing these technologies so 40 percent of the people that are working are in the industry of actually progressing it and making it better and faster because i don't think um you know ai is something that's going to reach an end point it's going to continuously increase uh and we won't reach an end in the way that we might like to think about it and then the other 20 percent would be just to make sure i'm getting my math right would be the still the normal stuff that we have today, like people cooking food for the, using your hands. There's still very personal things that people will still be doing. I don't think that's going to go away. I don't eat food that a robot makes now. Maybe in the future I will, but I won't want, always want that. I'll actually want a little bit of chaos in my meal. I wouldn't want a completely perfect meal. Ray, you're kind of saying, you know, there will be more and more jobs. And I agree with you. I think that, that there's always expanding what humans can do and what they can turn into business. But Luis, I think what you're saying is there are going to be a lot of human beings who, even if there is an expansion of jobs where people are managing what's automated or they're developing new software or whatever it is, that a lot of people won't have the capacity to gain those skills. So it seems like you're worried about the people who, you know, we can't all get PhDs and master's degrees in computer science and then take over all of those jobs. Some people want to work with their hands and they, they would like to be, take care of children or be cleaners or do those things that really are quite difficult. People have their different qualities. Some people are better with children. Some people are not. Some people can be software designers. Some people will just never want to do that. So what do we do with the population where automation is taking over the jobs that they really would want to have or that they are limited in their skills to have? Is that what you're really, is that one of your core worries? I, I would say that if we look at, let's say that what you're talking about right now is leisure and hospitality sector. Would that be a fair way of representing it? Partly. I'm looking right now at the labor, uh, the ma uh, employment by major industry sectors as projected by the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Currently, we are at 10% of the population of the of people who are working are in the leisure and hospitality sector. By 2026, it's projected it'll be 10.1%. That's the entire change that we're seeing. 0.1 increase. How long? Do we in 10 in 2026? What I am arguing is that the places that we are seeing, and this is a short-term future we're talking about. We're well, not talking in the long, saying, long term. What you're saying, it's going to still be 10% at that time. 
No, I'm saying even if we do have an increase, I agree with you that, yeah, there will be more people moving into these sectors. But there will, but the amount of people that will be unemployable will be much larger. And it will only get worse. As and that's what we're going to talk more about in the second half. So stay tuned, dear listener, to PFL Podcast. See you on the other end. Welcome to your father's promised land, the place of complete freedom, the place where you can have the ability to take what you want and do what you want. The rules are yours for the making. Destroy your enemies, snap their skulls, crackle their bones, pop their brains out, and reward yourself with unlimited Rice Krispie Treats. The issues with immediate AI, we haven't even touched about how the heck society does. How do we address the huge unemployment we're seeing, we're going to see? I read a book that was written in like the 70s and they were talking about how bad people are going to lose all their jobs. The economy is going to be like terrible by the year. We are having an issue with unemployment already. The value of labor has gone down drastically. The the value of labor – so since 2002 and today – the number of, of of worked hours is the same. Yeah, but if you think about it, the amount of effort put into those hours has changed. Because we have AI, so we don't need to hire more people. That's yeah, the exactly. Whole point. The whole 40-hour week is the just... The value of a human time. laborer has gone down. But, but, but being in an office doesn't mean you're working. It means you're in an environment where you're able to see and think and be creative in the time you, in the place that you're in. Work is not an on-off switch. What I see when I look at all the data and when I look when I read about what's happening in society, what I see is a move where the value of the worker is going down because yes, some jobs, given current advancement, and again, we're talking about very, very short-term AI advancement. We're talking the next couple decades. You will have an AI companion as a second brain, if you will, that will make your work better. But do you know who's going to be making the most money in the system? The people who own the AI, the people who own those systems. They will be the ones who will be making the most benefit from this. The worker who does not own that system will not benefit. Disagree. Listen, I understand the concept. I understand how that your projection is correct in a certain scenario. But I think there will be fundamental changes in the way that we interact and incentives that ex- will exist in our future economy will be different. What are you basing that on? I am basing that on the fact that what I'm seeing in with new technologies is the demand for owning your own data and owning your own intelligence. And Except I that's th- not what we're seeing, though. It's big companies own the data and they own the that. information. That's the present that, but circumstance, but that's changing. There are people who are buying... Uh, hard drives to serve as their personal clouds and they're keeping everything in the cloud but they own the cloud you know and that's a small scale example anything can change societally i think the question i have for you is louise you think that with the development of ai we're going toward a dystopia not a utopia so are you saying that technology is is leading us away from that so what that is not necessarily true because you're very you're very negative toward the employment and that seems like a dystopia for a, the that high is because we're not arguing the right we're not having the right argument what I am arguing is if we do nothing 
and let society move on as it is currently moving on with no interference whatsoever in the systems. If we just say, let technology move on forwards, no problem whatsoever. Let's just keep the trends going as they currently are going. With no change whatsoever, we will be moving towards a dystopia. If we rearrange the way that we as a society operate, we may change that future. But with, if we just keep going the way we're going, if we have, heck, do you know how many problems have been caused in Spain when unemployment went into the double digits? Greece? If we have just a small take uptick in unemployment, you have massive societal problems. And if we do nothing to address this, it's only going to get worse. Because we're only going to keep having people who own machines making the money, and then everyone else will just be unemployed. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. As in every era of the world, where whatever was the, the 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 whatever we faced in that era, and now we're facing automation and AI and technology expanding as it is, how do we treat this growth? How do we be good stewards of the earth and of the technology that we're developing? It's all about being responsible and ethical and, like Ray pointed out, empathetic. I mean, it's it's true of any technological development that things can go awry. You can have huge amounts of unemployment. I think pe when people think of automation, they think, great, I get to work less. And there was this quote, there's this unattributed quote that I had, that was, that I heard from a talk in 1988 from Thomas S. Monson. And he said, laws are the rules by which the game of life is played. And then he talks about uh, John Gunther's Uruguay, Utopia Gone Wild. Gunther writes, labor wanted higher wages. Industrialists wanted bigger income, but nobody wanted to do any work. Citizens thought more of their rights than of their obligations. The country's vast web of social legislation redistributed wealth, but did not create it. Nobody had the vision to see that what Uruguay needed was production. We see all of these great benefits that are coming from maybe the technology or from industry or whatever it is and our rights, and we forget to look at, well, what is it that the country needs? What is it that will create the utopia? It's not just the lack of work or the lack of pain or the lack of whatever it is that, that ails you that creates a utopia and the advancement of AI, but it's this responsible, ethical consideration of what does it mean? Where is it going? It's the question you're asking, Luis. Like, if we go along the current path, where is it going to set us? And if not, we have to redirect... Or where are we going to end up? We're not going to end up in a utopia. If we just let the current trends continue, where do you think we're going to end up? When you say current trends, we might have a different interpretation of what is trending right now. For example, for me, I think a decentralized way to distribute our information that's still private and secure mm -hmm. is an example. I'm talking about blockchain technology, actually. That, by evidence and market value is certainly trending if, if you want to go that way certainly trending faster than for example facebook and google's right now however that's not to say that it's not uh, completely riskless and it might be trending because it's completely speculation and there's a huge crypto market being created that's worth nothing and i understand that perspective but what i'm saying is i do not think that is true i do think there is value in the way we can decentralize our private information, keep that secure, 
but not allow a company to profit from our data, we can actually increase the value of our own data and convert it into a currency that we can use to buy a loaf of bread or whatever. So basically you would sell your privacy for food. You're not selling your privacy. You're selling... Well, that's what your data is. It's privacy. It's only unprivate if it's identifying you. But But, if you you sell it, it's yours. You're not selling it in the way that you... you're, You're thinking of it as it's an asset that you can move around. And then once it's moved, people can make copies of it and things like that. I'm not saying that. The access to your data can be sold. But they can never take your data. The access to it, parts of it, compartmentalized access to your data that's on the cloud. But basically a Facebook model for the economy. So uh, I will give you the ability to track me if I can, if you, I will get food every week. I think we're thinking of e-commerce and how you have to be identified. It has to come back to you for it to be valuable uh, because they want to know who to serve ads to. But for example, a lot of people give up anonymous data to genealogy, like DNA services, so that they can do research on the path, pathways of how you know, civilizations have moved and such. And so they, they offer for free, they could get paid, but for their genealogical data. So there are data that are valuable, whether they are identifiable or whether they are completely pulled from the identity of a person, at least partially. That's- they're actually, there, there is actually a company, mm-hmm. a startup company in Cambridge. I think it's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it's called Genos. And it was founded by Professor George Church, I believe, from Harvard. Basically, it allows you to do whole exome DNA sequencing. But that data is only yours to keep. So I think it's like 500 bucks and you keep it. However, if you want to participate in different research that it goes on, like pharmaceutical research or healthcare research, you can provide that data anonymously and you get paid for it. There's actually a marketplace that's created. You can sell portions of your genetic data and you can continuously benefit from having that data. And it's never just used without you, you know, it's yours. The idea of selling data as the basis for the economy, even if it's not Fine. It's not a transaction. You're right. I'm using the wrong word. It's not a transaction. It, the idea of there being a social contract where so long as companies know everything you're doing and all, all the information about you that they want to know, you have access to goods and services, is a possibility. But it is not one I approve of as a way for society to be organized because it, can, it leads for the open the door for incredible misuse. Imagine a world where those companies may have bad designs in mind. And I don't mean bad designs as in your phone case will be bad. I mean as in they may have, they may want to abuse power because that's a lot of power doing exactly where people are. Let's say they know who the people who don't like their product are giving bad reviews to their products are. In a world where the companies have all of the power. And, and this has been a very uh, divisive episode of Positive Feedback Loop, mostly uh, on my end. I, I know that we've, we've had a lot of arguments, the three of us, but... Well, we uh, do love to disagree respectfully, and that's what makes this we podcast so enjoyable. It is exactly what we sell the podcast on. And, um, don't, and you know, we uh, I believe uh, all of us played a little bit of devil's advocate throughout the process, so that's a good thing, I think. 
I will say um, this is a huge topic, and we still have only touched the very surface of it. So uh, we may have to do a part three of Utopia, because so far it seems like this is Utopia part two. Right. Let us let us keep an eye out for part three, getting to Utopia. And as always, stay crazy. crazy.